You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. The title of the message is Awkward Moments, and I wonder if you've ever had one of those moments where you wish you could just crawl under a rock and disappear. You know what I'm talking about? You remember when comedian Steve Harvey was host of Miss Universe, and he inadvertently announced the wrong girl as the winner? Awkward moment. I mean, how do you undo that, right? I read about a lady this past week who uh, placed her order in the drive-thru only to hear a voice uh, say, ma'am, could you pull up to the speaker? You've been talking to the trash can. (laughs) That's an awkward moment. Uh, Several years ago, when our girls were younger, my wife had taken uh, our girls to the department store, and she was in one of the changing rooms with our oldest daughter, Bailey, trying on clothes, and she was trying to keep an eye on our youngest daughter, Natalie, who was five at the time. And Natalie happened to be in the dressing room right next door. Somebody had left a pile of clothes in there, and she was just trying them on, and they were kind of old lady clothes, you know what I'm saying? And so Natalie was entertaining herself. She would come out, and she would be dressed in these clothes, and, you know, the sleeves are hanging down, and she's doing all this and laughing and having just a great time. And it's all good, right? Until the old lady who was using that dressing room returns because she had left her clothes in there, of which now Natalie is wearing. (laughs) Awkward moment for my wife, Anne. Awkward moment. Well, there is a passage of Scripture. It's Luke, the seventh chapter, starting with verse 36. If you want to turn into to that in your Bible or your smartphone or tablet, whatever you're using, to follow along this morning, that is our text this morning for what, for some people, was a really awkward moment. Now, all of this starts about Jesus getting an invitation to a dinner at the home of a Pharisee by the name of Simon. We'll pick it up here. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. This story, this event in the life of Jesus, breaks down into basically three different acts. And the first act I've entitled The Awkward Moment. And that's what we just read. You see, as a point of background, it was customary in that day for outsiders to hover around during banquets so that they could watch the important people, and they could even eavesdrop in on their conversations. They could hear what they were talking about. This was their version of a red carpet event, so to speak. Since everything was open, and this banquet was like that, they were even able to enter into the banquet hall and speak to the guests, as long as they didn't interrupt. They they were kind of on the sides. And this explains how this woman had access to Jesus in that day, because Ladies, I hate to tell you this, women in that first century would never have been invited to a banquet. 
So what's so radical about this encounter that Jesus had with this woman? It's found in the fact that Jewish rabbis, of which Jesus was, they didn't speak to women in public places. And they, they, let alone, they would never have been eating with a, a woman in a public place, especially a woman with a reputation like this woman had. She would not have been welcomed in the house of a Pharisee. Her sins are not named, but the impression that we get about her is that she was a woman of the streets with a very bad and well-known reputation. There's no doubt that this woman's actions that we just read created an awkward moment. Think about it. Here's a couple reasons why. Number one, she's an immoral woman, well-known sinner, sexual sinner in her community, and she's in a room full of religious leaders. Now, that's going to be somewhat scandalous anytime, but in, a, in an era where the religious leaders were legalistic, this was, this was epic when it came to scandalous events. Secondly, she's weeping. There's nothing worse than a crying woman, except maybe a crying man, right? You think about it. When someone is crying and they show no signs of stopping, it just creates and awkwardness. She's also washing Jesus' feet with her tears. Now, this is just me personally, but I think that's kind of weird. I don't know about you, especially since, as far as we know, she had never personally met Jesus. And then she uses her hair to dry his feet. Again, I just find that really weird. And weird things make us feel awkward, don't they? Well, it goes on. There's another reason. She takes her hair down so she can dry Jesus' hair. And what you may not know about the first century is that culturally, a woman taking her hair down was taboo. It was never supposed to happen in that era. And then finally, she starts kissing his feet. Again, she probably doesn't know him personally. And though this is an extreme act of humility, you can understand that it could be perceived as really awkward. Do you follow me? As we read the details of this episode, you can almost sense the uneasiness that the Pharisees are feeling. There's a tension in this moment. This woman's actions created an awkward moment for everyone in the room, except Jesus. And that's important to note. This woman admitted that she was a sinner and gave evidence that she was a repentant sinner. And if you were to check a Gospel Harmony, which is a book that takes the chronological narrative of all the four Gospels and fits them together in a chronological order, if you took a Gospel Harmony, you'd discover that just before this event, Jesus had given the gracious invitation found in Matthew eleven twenty-eight: Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Perhaps that's when this woman turned from her life of sin and put her faith in Jesus. There's evidence that she has a changed heart. Her tears are one evidence of it. Her humble attitude is another. And the act of anointing him with this expensive perfume and sharing this expensive gift, all three of these Reveal a changed heart. Something has happened in this woman for her to do these things. You know, sometimes people can make us feel uncomfortable, and thus we call it an awkward moment. Often the moment is awkward largely because 
the person is different from us. People who are different can sometimes make us feel uncomfortable. Oftentimes it's things that we're uninformed about that can cause us heartburn or maybe even fear. And we say that's an awkward moment. And there are a lot of differences in our world. I mean, we have all these cultural differences. There's ethnicity and language and looks and dress and hygiene. And I found recently, uh, research has come out to show that something that is the most divisive, the most troubling, are political differences. Both Stanford and I think Princeton have done research to find that people are less offended by someone's race or their religion than they are by their political beliefs. The list goes on and on. But those moments make us feel like something is awkward. What made this particular situation an awkward moment was part cultural, you know, regarding the rules of public interaction between a man, especially a rabbi, and a woman. But the main reason that made this an awkward moment was this woman's sinful past. Imagine if everybody knew about your worst sins. Or if everybody knew that your job was sinful. Which brings us to act two in this story. The terrible response to an awkward moment. We pick up the story in verse 39. It says this, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw, invited Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Simon was embarrassed. He's the host of this dinner party, and he's embarrassed, not just for himself, but for all of his dinner guests. This event wasn't on the agenda. This woman showing up and doing all of this, it wasn't part of the evening. He had envisioned, likely, that they would have these deep theological discussions, or maybe they would get a chance to better understand why Jesus was so popular as a rabbi. But then this prostitute crashes the party and makes this awkward scene for all of his guests. People had been saying that Jesus was this great prophet. But Simon is thinking that he isn't exhibiting a lot of prophetic discernment right now. If he had, he should have known that this woman was sinful and he should not have allowed her to anoint his feet, let alone touch him or kiss them. If that's the case, then Jesus must be a fraud. That's the conclusion we're led to believe that Simon comes to But Simon has a problem, and Simon's problem is his own blindness. You see, he couldn't see himself. It was easy for him to say, she's a sinner, and Jesus, you should have nothing to do with her. You should spurn her, shun her, reject her. But it's impossible for him to look at himself and say, you know, I'm a sinner also. Jesus proved that he indeed was a prophet by reading Simon's thoughts and revealing his needs. And I wonder, do we ever act like Simon? You know, we're an expert in everybody else's sins, and yet oftentimes we're not realizing that we've also got some things in our own life that are not going the direction that God would have them go. Jesus shines some light on this for Simon 
And he continues by giving him this parable. Look what he says in verse 40 and following. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. Now, stop for a second. A denarii was the monetary equivalent of one day's labor, one day's wages for work. So one had owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. This parable, it's not dealing with the amount of sin in a person's life, but it's the awareness of sin that a person has in his or her heart. How much sin must a person commit before they're deemed a sinner? Well, we know that Adam and Eve committed just one sin, and they were separated from God. Simon and this woman were both sinners. This woman's sexual sins were well-known throughout the city. Simon, on the other hand, was guilty of sins of the Spirit, especially pride, while this woman was guilty of sins of the flesh. Her sins were probably known by most everybody, I mean, when she showed up, you know, people were like, you know what she does for a living? While Simon's sins were hidden, they were hidden from everybody except God. You see, both of them were spiritually bankrupt. One, it was very obvious. The other one, not so obvious. And neither of them could pay the debt that they owed God. Simon was just as spiritually bankrupt as this woman. The only problem for him was He didn't realize it. It's an important point to recognize that forgiveness is a gift of God's grace. It's part of that precious gift of his grace. You see, the debt was paid in full by Jesus. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. This woman accepted God's free offer of salvation, and she expressed her love openly for all that Jesus had done for her. Simon rejected that offer, and thus he remained unforgiven. He was blind to his own sinfulness. So here's the question to ponder. Which of these two are you more like? This woman who was desperate to have her past washed away, or this man who was in denial that there was anything that needed washing. Well, we come to the act three, the conclusion of the story, and it's the climax. It's where it gets really, really good, and I call this the response of Jesus to an awkward moment, the response of Jesus to an awkward moment. Look what he says, starting in verse 44. Then he turned toward the woman, and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven." As her great love has shown, 
But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus immediately applies the parable directly to Simon and the sinful woman. Simon had not washed Jesus' feet. That was a common courtesy in those days. A slave would have been designated or a family member would have been designated to wash the feet of the, of the dinner guests. No one was there. Simon had not, had not only not washed his feet, but he'd not given him the, kiss, the customary kiss of greeting. This was another common courtesy that was extended to guests who would come to your home. And furthermore, Simon had not anointed Jesus with oil. And this was a gesture that was reserved for the most honored of guests. All of these were common cultural customs that in that day, Simon should have had available to his guests. And yet he did none of them. And this woman, she did all three. She wasn't even supposed to be there. Simon had, been, had, had not been that gracious of a host to Jesus and yet everything that Simon neglected to do, this woman did, and she did it even better because she did it from a heart that was filled with gratitude. It wasn't a task. It was out of the love that she had for Jesus. Here's a key point. This woman's actions didn't save her, but they were evidence of the faith that did save her. Paul said in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You see, we're not saved by our good works, but they are evidence of the faith that does save us. Grace is love that pays a price. And that price was the death of the Son of God on the cross Salvation is a free gift given prior to a person proving oneself by doing good works. Even before you ever did anything good or righteous, filled with gratitude and love, God offers you grace. Salvation was the catalyst for this woman and the acts of gratitude that she extended to Jesus. This anonymous woman illustrates the truth that Paul writes about in Galatians, the fifth chapter, verse six. The only thing that counts, Paul says, is faith expressing itself through love. And that's what this woman was doing that day. These, these uh, Pharisees were legalists. That's the nature of their religious position. So they were kind of shocked, they were stunned, when Jesus announces that this woman's many sins had been forgiven. By saying this, Jesus was claiming to be God. And for a Jewish rabbi, they would have considered that blasphemy. Except for one thing. It's a small detail in the story you can't miss. He was God. So he could say that. He died for the sins that this woman had committed. His words of forgiveness were not cheap. They cost him dearly. Everyone who truly understands the depth of their sin and the cost paid for their redemption will respond. They, can't help, they cannot help it. 
they will respond with grateful acts of devotion to Jesus, just like this woman did. Oh, they'll be different than what she did, but there'll be acts of gratitude that are given to Jesus. This woman's story reminds us something that's very important, and I hope everyone in here hears these words. This story reminds us that Jesus can take any sinner and make them into a child of God. Man, woman, student, child. No matter what your past consists of. How different this situation might have been if the Pharisees had approached this woman, had looked at this woman the way Jesus did. What can we take away from the way Jesus responded to her? How different was he? Let me give you a a few of these things and then we'll close. Number one, a person's past can be forgiven no matter how sinful it might be. No matter how messed up, no matter how confused, no matter how jacked up, how complicated their past may have been, Jesus can wash it all away. Number two, a person's past doesn't define them. Because of grace, their past doesn't define them. In 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And if you go back and read this story, you'll notice something very unique about how Jesus treated this woman. He treated her like the new creation that she was. Even though the rest of the world saw her as this local sex worker, because of Jesus, that past was gone. And Jesus knew that. And she had this brand new future. And that's how he saw her. And that's how he treated her. And that's how God will treat you when you step into a relationship with him. Number three, takeaway. Humility and generosity are often evidence of a grateful heart. And Jesus knew that. That's why he allowed this woman to wash his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair and then anoint his feet with that perfume. These acts came out of a deep humility and incredible generosity that she had because of what Jesus had done for her. And then takeaway number four, show grace in an awkward moment like Jesus did. That's not easy to do sometimes. But it's the right thing to do. And it's what all of us as believers and followers of him should do to to imitate him. God's forgiveness is not automatic. Don't ever forget that. God loves the whole world and he offers grace to everyone. But he also gives you the opportunity to reject it. He doesn't force his grace on any of us. You see, grace is a free gift. But you only receive the benefits of the gift when you accept it. You have to say yes to Jesus. Let me close with this story. In 1830, a man by the name of George Wilson was arrested and convicted for mail theft. The penalty for that crime at that time was capital. You were to hang until dead. After a period of time, President Andrew Jackson gave Wilson a pardon. But interestingly, he refused to accept the pardon. The authorities were thrown into confusion. They were really puzzled. 
Do they set Wilson free because of this presidential pardon, or do they hang him because he rejected the pardon? So they appealed to a higher court. They consulted with Supreme Court Chief Justice John Marshall, who handed down this decision. This is what he said. A pardon is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. The great truth of this awkward moment we read in Luke, the seventh chapter, is that if you've never accepted God's pardon, don't miss out. Don't miss it. Now is the time to believe, to accept God's grace, to repent of your sins, be baptized, and be saved. Don't think that, oh, God's a benevolent God. He's going he's to save me in the end, no matter what I do. The truth is, you have to receive his pardon. Don't miss out on that. Let's pray together. Lord, you, uh, you work in amazing ways. And as we see this story, how difficult that moment may have been for most of the people in that room, you were in your element because you're all about people. Will you help us to realize that what may seem like an awkward moment for us because somebody is different or they do something embarrassing or they do something just downright ridiculous, that may be an, actually an opportunity for us to share your love and your grace with them. It may be an opportunity for us to step into their world and make a new friend. It may change their eternal destiny, Lord. Help us not to be, you know, intimidated by the differences or the awkwardness at times. You have come. You came and you said, come to me all you are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. There's a lot of people today, God, that need rest. Maybe some in this room today. I pray that they would come to you and just lay down their burdens before you. Maybe for the first time they need to accept Jesus and say, hey, I, I need my past washed away just like this sinful woman's past. Mine's different, maybe same, the same in some ways, but I desperately need that forgiveness. You know, I know God, every one of us needs grace. Don't let us be blind like Simon was to the sins that we have because everybody needs our sins washed away. Lord, will you shine light on our sins today that need that attention? Help us to change our lives in a way that will bring on glory and honor to you. I pray, God, that we'll show gratitude to you by the way that we live in those easy moments and even in the awkward moments. And help us never to forget that humility and generosity, they're evidence of a grateful heart. And God, that's what we want to be. We want to be grateful. I pray, Lord, for any man or woman, any student, any child here today that's never put their hand in the hand of Jesus and said, I accept your pardon. I'm thankful for your grace. Please wash my sins away. I repent of my sin. And Lord, I want, I want to give my life 
to you today. Lord, if they've never done that, I pray today would be the day they do that. That they could then share in the celebration as we gather in heaven someday. Have their names written in the Lamb's book of life for all eternity. A part of your family. A child of the King. I pray that for them, Lord. They just need to take a step and receive that pardon. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.